This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. I invite you this morning, take your Bibles and let's go to the second psalm. Psalm 2. If you have any difficulty finding it, it's after Psalm 1. If you're a soldier of Jesus Christ and you're living for Christ, you are constantly reminded, as am I, the world is no friend to grace. It hates the God who made it. In this electronic age, you know that politicians, celebrities, sports figures, and even a Christian in the workplace, in any of those areas, if someone dares to stand with the scripture and voice an opinion that goes against modern thought, related to any ideology, whether it's climate change, gender, marriage, abortion, if you dare to speak against what the world wants us to think is everybody's thinking, you're going to pay a price. And it's getting worse. It affects us in ways perhaps that we are not even aware of yet. We had a wonderful men's prayer breakfast yesterday. Just, just a great start to the year. Over 40 men out here praying. But we had a testimony time that preceded that, and one of our men who works for a Christian book distributor shared the testimony about how people are buying up Bibles. And that's good news. But there are places in the country where even major retailers who may allow Bibles to be in Chesapeake, Virginia, when it gets close to our nation's capital, no way. You need to learn, church, and, and most of you already recognize this, woke stands for hate God what it stands for. It's the whole mentality that nobody is going to tell me what to think or do, especially God. But God has us here for such a time as this, and as we minister in this world, as we raise our families in this world, how do you not want to find a bomb shelter someplace and just hunker down? Wait for a trumpet to sound. Many in the church are doing that. Many are not. Hallelujah. But what's the mindset that we should have when it comes to speaking forth the truth, showing forth the path of life, pointing others to the God of heaven? What should be our mentality so that we do not fear and shirk back from our responsibility. 
Well, I love this second psalm. Recently, we were in Psalm 1. We looked at what the blessed man does so that he can have great happiness and usefulness from God. We will see that there is, in fact, a direct connection between the first psalm and this second psalm, uh, though they were not written with that intent. We know there's unity in the Bible, absolute uh, perfect unity, because it all is the mind of God, right? But the Lord helps his people. Psalm 2 helped the Jews. We're going to be able to look at what I believe is the context of this psalm, when it was written in its historical setting, but then certainly the application, the help that it is for the church today. So let's look at the psalm. I want to read it, and then we're going to come back and begin to uh, look in detail at what God says to us here. If you're physically able, would you stand with me out of honor of God's word? Psalm 2, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their, plural, again, the Lord, his anointed, bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. What does he say? Yet have I set my king upon the holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me. Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed. Same word as in Psalm 1. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. Lord, speak to our hearts now, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So why do the heathen rage? Why is it that you can believe any kind of crazy? And everybody's okay. But quote the Bible. Ah. You know, they'll let just about any book into a public school. Perverted. Hateful. Revisionist history. They'll let anything in, but don't let that five-year-old bring his Bible to school. Why? In your Bible, you, you perhaps ought to put a circle around the why that begins this psalm. Because what the Lord is going to do for us is he's going to answer a significant question. He's going to tell you why. 
Why do the heathen rage? The heathen, this is a common biblical reference to the Gentiles. But we find that it is also used from time to time of the Jewish people who are unbelievers. They're heathen. Why do they rage? That word rage means a tumultuous, riotous assembly driven by blind hatred. Now, it's ideology, so they're not, they're, they're, they think they're doing the right thing, but they're driven by this hatred. And, and you, you look at it, and you say, this, this doesn't make any sense. But it's, it's a riotous assembly that's driven by that hatred. It wasn't that long ago in this country that people were burning down cities. They were against authority. They were against the police. They, they were destroying things out of hatred. Why? Why this rage? By the way, it says the heathen rage, the people, that's literally in the Hebrew, the peoples, the people groups. So it's not just an isolated incident. It's, it's people groups all over. Why do they imagine a vain thing? They imagine with empty reasoning. Okay, they imagine things that are not even true. Driven by hate. Driven by rage. Now who is inciting people groups to this hateful rage? Well, the text tells us the answer is it's governmental authority over those nations. Verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves. That means that they take their stand in opposition to. The kings are stirring up. Governments are stirring up the people to, to have this riotous mentality, this hate for this opponent. Again, we haven't even identified the, the opponent yet. But the rulers take counsel together against whoever this hated threat, perceived threat, is. So what we're talking about here, folks, is supercharged, deliberate scheming motivated by absolute hate against this perceived opponent. And you can't overstate it. Recently, I shared with you that we needed to pray for some brethren in Pakistan. And I was watching this. Voice of the Martyrs was talking about it. They were burning churches in the homes of Christians. But then I got an email from a pastor friend in Pakistan. I've shared with you how... God brought us together, and I've had the opportunity to kind of mentor him like a Timothy. But he started sending me pictures that he was taking in those very streets where they were burning things. And he's taking pictures. So here's a Christian's home, and out in front of the home is a pile of all their belongings, but it's all charred. What makes a, a person hate a peaceful neighbor like that? What, what makes them burn their churches? Well, before we finish verse 2, let's ask the question, what has been done to these nations to bring about such hatred and to turn them into a riotous mob? 
Okay. What is the offense? Well, listen to what they are saying against their perceived enemy. Look at verse 3. Let us break their bands asunder. Now, obviously, in the text, they're talking about the Lord, Jehovah is the word, and his anointed, Messiah. The Greek word is Messiah. Okay, so they are referring to the Lord, but let us break their bands asunder. Cast their cords from us. Bands refers to iron restraints, fetters, modern handcuffs. Against our will, we're being restrained. Cords, ropes that bind captives and prisoners. The same word is used in reference to the cords that bound Samson when Delilah was, was trying to find the secret to his strength. Same word. Now, if this was speaking of a tyrant oppressor, we would begin to sympathize with these Gentile nations. Do we not sympathize with oppressors in, uh, or those who have been oppressed in history? In preparation for the message, I, I was doing some research about revolts in the past where people who were genuinely oppressed rose up against their oppressors. There are illustrations of that in Rome, where slaves rose up. What started with the French Revolution was a result of that oppression. The awful things that people were doing to family members, neighbors, uh, what the government was doing. And people rose up. French Revolution. Of course, we can look at the American Civil War. What was happening to slaves in this land. The Haitian Revolution. I learned some of that history when we were with Sea Hope and, and ministering in Haiti. Haiti became a country because they rose up against the awful oppression of the French against them. It was terrible what was happening. Okay. Here's the point though, this isn't talking about those kinds of fetters. This is not talking about any injustice. Who are the rulers of the earth against, back in verse 2? Let's look at it. Who are they inciting the people to hate passionately? Well, they rage against the Lord and against his anointed one, his Messiah, the Messiah. Now, we need to pause for a moment and to be faithful to the text we need to understand that this was a psalm written to the people of Israel. This is one of their hymns. So what was behind this psalm historically? Now, this psalm does not tell us who the human author was, but the word anointed gives us a hint that it was God's anointed king over Israel. First king, who was that? Who was anointed? All right, second king in Israel. <laughs> David, thank you. All right, Saul didn't write any psalms that we're aware of. It's King David. Now, look at verse 6. This is God speaking, Yet have I firmly placed, I've set, firmly placed my king upon my holy hill of Zion. All right. David conquered the Jebusite city of Jerusalem. 
Remember, that became his capital. And so many Bible commentators point back to 2 Samuel 5. You don't need to turn there, but when the Philistines heard that David, God's anointed, had been firmly placed as king over Israel, and that he had taken Jerusalem to be his capital, they came against Israel. Not once, but twice. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says the Philistines were joined by other Gentile kings, allies. And God directed and enabled David twice to destroy the opposing army. In fact, 2 Samuel 5 is such a blessing because both times before David goes to battle, he inquires of the Lord. First time, God says, go up. Second time, God says, no, wait. Wait for the rustling of the leaves, the wind coming through the leaves, and the top of the mulberry trees, and then swing around behind. You'll have them. God gave him a great victory. So that's the context. But we know, as we read that, you're a student of the scripture in any way, you know that this is a messianic text. This points to Jesus because he is God's Messiah. David was his anointed one. God said to David that through you, your seed, will come Israel's Messiah. But believers read this psalm and their minds immediately go to Christ for biblical reasons. But I want to show you how directly these passages fit. Would you hold your place? Go to Acts chapter 4. In our series in Acts, I mentioned this text. But I want to look at it in greater detail now. This is the incident where Peter and John are heading up to the Temple Mount. They're going to meet other believers there. The early church are going to pray. But on the way up, they pass a lame man. And this is when Peter says, I, I don't have any gold to give you, but what I have, I'm going to give you. And he says in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. The guy jumps up. He follows them to the Temple Mount, and you'll remember that he's up there. He's jumping and hollering and giving God praise. He's trying out those new legs. And a crowd begins to gather. This is another preaching opportunity. Peter begins to preach to the crowd. But he doesn't get to an invitation this time, not like in Acts chapter 2. The high priest, and specifically the Sadducees, because Peter had mentioned the resurrection, and they don't believe that. They send in soldiers and arrest the apostles right there on the spot. And so Acts chapter 4 is what happens when Peter, John, there are some others there, end up before the council, right? And so, they're threatened twice not to preach in Jesus' name, but nothing happens to them physically. Not this time, because these hateful politicians, these religious leaders, fear the people. Now, would you look at verse 23? Here's where this connects with our text today. And being let go, they went to their own company and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them. And when they heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. 
who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why do the heathen rage and the peoples imagine vain things? All right. Compare scripture with scripture. So who is the author, the human author of Psalm 2? You can do better than that. Who's the human author of Psalm 2? It's David. You don't read that at the beginning of the psalm, the introduction that many of those psalms have. But it's David. Verse 26, the kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ, Messiah. Now we are told who Psalm 2 is ultimately talking about. Look at verse 27. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast appointed, both Herod and Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Now let's stop. Why do they hate this man? He fed thousands. He raised the dead. He made the blind to see. Wouldn't any of us want somebody like that helping us? Not Israel. Not these Gentiles. They're gathered together. And this is where you have to understand what this is talking about is that riotous hate. We are so worked up. Don't get in our way. Verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel. Okay, now whose hand and counsel? God's. This was all part of God's plan. Not Pilate, not the Jews, not Herod, okay, but God determined before to be done related to Jesus, the anointed Messiah. Verse 25, verse 29, I'm sorry. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. All right. So, let's pause for just a minute. This is the title of the message today. Lord, behold their threatenings. Am I on? I'm not on. Sorry. Lord, behold their threatenings. What gave them courage to pray that to God? Psalm 2. Psalm 2. Lord, behold their threatening. We really don't have anything to worry about, to be fearful about, because this is your plan. And Lord, their hatred is towards you and your Messiah. Lord, we're going to continue to be faithful to you. We're going to continue to spread the gospel. But Lord, behold their threatenings. You who created the earth and the heavens and the seas, our all-powerful sovereign God, Behold their threatenings. Oh, what a wonderful mindset for the church today. Now what had Jehovah and his anointed Messiah done to cause the heathen to hate and despise them? To work the people up uh, to a murderous mob. What had they done? Well, Acts 4 tells us, look back at verse 12. Here's what the apostles say to these 
haters who had arrested him. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby ye, what? Must be saved. What were they reacting to? We don't want to believe that. We keep the law. God's going to be okay with just our works. We're religious. He's got to let us into heaven. No. No, Jewish leaders, politicians, wrong. There's one name under heaven whereby ye must be saved. Okay, so don't, don't hate him. He wants to rescue you. He wants to deliver you. But if you're not going to be told what to do, if you think you get to choose what you believe, okay. He's not going to force you to accept His Messiah so that you can have eternal life forever. But you must believe if you're going to be saved. Now turn back to Psalm 2, look at verse 3. When the people say, let us break their bands asunder and cast their cords from us, what are they talking about? Here's what they're saying. Listen carefully. We don't want the restraint of having to believe that salvation is only through God and His Messiah. We don't want the fetters of His law that reveal that we're sinners and that we need a Savior. We don't want that. Say, now, do, do people react that strongly? Sure. You know that because of the early chapters of your Bible where God had made it very clear if you're going to be right with me, you have to bring a blood sacrifice. One boy named Abel said, Yes, Lord, I believe that. Here's my sacrifice. His brother said, I don't want to do it that way. Who are you to tell me what I should do? So I'm going to bring... My own sacrifice, I'm a farmer, I'm going to bring my vegetables, things from my garden, and Lord, you need to accept this. God would not accept his sacrifice because he's God. He gets to decide. Now, had Abel really wronged Cain? No. But what did Cain do? He lures his brother to a field and... Most think what he did is he picked up an object, probably a stone, and in his hateful rage, because he didn't like what God said, he murdered his brother. That's the human heart. That's why this world is in the shape that it's in. God has provided salvation. Millions on this planet believe it, but for those that don't, they really are out to destroy anyone who doesn't agree with them. Now, I know that's strong, but that is the reality. Now, there's another application to this text that we saw in Acts 4. The apostles, the early church, knew the rest of Psalm 2. So when they say, behold their threatenings, they're addressing Jehovah God, same God, as he's presented in chapter 2 and verse 4. Look now back, Psalm 2 and verse 4. He that sitteth in the heavens 
Sitting reminds us of a throne. The heavens remind us that our God is enthroned and He is untouchable above all this hateful might and power on the earth. And he that sits in the heavens shall laugh. We're going to explain that in a minute. I believe what the, the Scripture helps us understand this. But the Lord shall have them in derision. He views their hostility and their actions with contempt. So here's what is happening. God looks down and he sees the ridiculous futility of their opposition. And his scorn leads to a divine laugh. Let me illustrate it this way. I was in a supermarket, and there was a dad who was almost as, twice as tall as me. Now, that's not saying a lot, okay? But he was a big guy. And oh, by the way, he was a big guy. All right? He had taken lessons on bodybuilding from a freight train. I mean, he, you know, I, I was going to be nice to him, and I didn't even know him. Big guy. But he had a little guy with him. Now it became very clear that little guy, probably his son, okay, wasn't being well disciplined at home. Because little guy was creating all kinds of trouble for big guy, dad. And little guy wanted something, reached for something, and dad said no. Oh, it was a declaration of war at that point. <laughs> no. And the little guy started to pound on dad, you know. <laughs> what was so funny is dad reached behind him, grabbed, he was probably, I think he was wearing a hoodie, grabbed him and just picked him up and kept going. <laughs> All right, so little guy, he's kicking, he's hollering, he's squealing. And I looked at dad and dad broke out in this grin. No threat. He's looking at me. I'm grinning. I'm laughing at this scene. And this little guy, he's, he's going to convince Dad. My way! All right. Silly illustration, but that's the point. The God who inhabits eternity, the universe, looks down and there are those who have been provided salvation and they're going, Leave me alone! My way. He that sits in the heavens will laugh. Spurgeon explained the passage this way. I think it's so good. Let me quote him. So what did God say? What will the king do unto the men who reject his only begotten son, the heir of all things? Mark the quiet dignity of the omnipotent one and the contempt which he pours upon the princes and their raging people. He has not taken the trouble to rise up and do battle with them. He despises them. He knows how absurd, how irrational, how futile are their attempts against him. He therefore laughs at them. <coughs> now does this mean that he's <clears throat> uncaring? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't send Jesus to save his friends. He sent Jesus 
to save his enemies and make them his friends. By the way, there was one point in my life where I was the enemy of God. My sin, my rebellion. Did he give up on me? Did he quit? He loved me, drew him to himself, and he saved me when I repented. But I had to agree with God about Mike. We had another testimony yesterday in the men's prayer breaks. One of our men shared a number of years ago. He tried to share Christ with his brother. And his brother said, don't you ever, ever speak to me of that name again. And so this brother in our church, he hasn't. He just continues to love his brother, pray for his brother. But, but why, why such hostility? Well, the text helps us understand. Do you sometimes laugh with scorn at the useless, ridiculous actions of others? But imagine our loving, holy, all-powerful sovereign looking down on the rebels of our race who are trying to stop his gracious work here. Reminds me of Jesus' teaching in Luke 13 where he tells a story and he's referring to himself in the story but those who don't like the master or his son, in their scheming, here's what they say, we will not have this man to rule over us. Now our God is not just watching and laughing with scorn. What we're going to learn later, and we're going to turn back here this evening, but God is also frustrating their futile efforts. Look at verse 5. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and, and here's the word, vex them in his sore displeasure. Here's what you have to realize about the world. Those who oppose our Lord are frustrated people. Why? What they're trying doesn't work. The God who made all things said, what you sow, you're going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll of the flesh reap what? Corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life everlasting. Why are they so hateful? Oh, they're frustrated. Frustrated. Ah, this, this ought to be working. And look at all the people that agree with us. This, this ought to be working. It can't work because you're going against the truth of God who said His word won't return void. So they're vexed, they're frustrated, and our great King is making it so. So as you and I look at them, we need to realize that that's, that's part of the equation. That's part of why they're so hateful. They're frustrated. Let me close with this. Going back to Acts chapter 4, our attitude needs to be today, brother. As we come to a new year, our attitude needs to be, Lord, you behold their threatenings. We can be comforted. We can be assured. You are so great. Your plan is going to continue. We're part of that plan. And even if they do kill us, we get to go to heaven. We get promoted. 
But Lord, you're working. You're powerful. They cannot change that. And your plan moves forward. Now in Acts chapter 4, here's the next thing that the apostles pray. So Lord, you behold their threatenings, but you give us boldness to share your word. And I hope that that will be on our minds all the rest of this year and all the rest of your life, Christian. When you're passed over for a promotion, when the family gets together and they don't invite your family because they don't like what you believe, we go on and on. When, when, when that happens, Lord, behold their threatenings. And Lord, give us boldness to declare the gospel. And Lord, give us, give us love for them like you love them. And Lord, help us to be faithful to you. So as we close, there may be someone listening to my voice today. And honestly, you're here. We're excited that you're here. We're thankful. But if the truth were told, you've never become a Christian because the truth that your loved ones, your friends have shared with you, the, the truth I've shared today, you really despise it. You don't, want to, you don't want to hear. Because you've convinced yourself there is another way to heaven or eternity doesn't really exist. We all just die and it's over. You've convinced yourself of all kinds of vain reasoning. Psalm 2. And you don't think that anyone can know for sure they're going to heaven, that no one should even declare that. We can't know. Oh, no, no, no. We can, and God says so. And He also says, all roads don't lead to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But that's not a threat. It's glorious truth. Say, I, I don't want to believe that. I'm going to throw off those, those fetters. Listen, would you listen to God? You don't need to throw those off. You need to believe on Him, and He'll tear asunder the bonds of sin that are keeping you miserable and defeated and that are helping to extenuate your, extenuate your death. She'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. That's what he said. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Oh, there's responsibility with being a Christian. But I tell you what, I'd much rather be carrying his yoke than the chains of sin. I'd much rather be delivered and be his servant than to be the slave of wickedness. So, turn to Christ today. Know his deliverance. All of us are serving somebody, and so are you. So come to the one who loves you, made you, wants to make you his child. And yes, you'll have the privilege then of also serving. And Christian, would you ask God to give you the determination this year to be a bold witness? Not in your own strength, but to be a bold witness. 
And whenever you feel that pressure, feel threatened, would you ask God to help you, remind you to look to heaven and say, Lord, behold, they're threatening, but help me to be bold. Father, thank you for this text. And Lord, thank you for what the rest of this psalm teaches. We were excited about finishing this up and, and uh, then the Lord celebrating your table tonight. But Father, you know the condition of hearts. You know the condition of lost hearts and, and the rebellion. If a person has not believed on Jesus Christ, it may be ignorance. But with many Americans, it's just they've heard, but they don't like it. They don't agree. And somehow they think their opinion matters over the truth of God. Lord, if there's anyone listening today, would you, would you break their heart? Fill their heart with your love. And Lord, help them to run to Jesus today. So that they can be blessed. And then Lord, help us as Christians, help us not to have any rebellion in our hearts. We can be saved and then hate the things you tell us that we ought to do and the things we should be. Lord, help us to confess sin if we need to today. But Lord, give us a holy boldness and, and put our confidence in you as we are under this important mandate to go and make disciples. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.